1: That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for
2: This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised.
3: And in my days, I saw this dark humanoid shape just sitting at the foot of my bed. It didn't take long for their eyes to
1: adjust to the darkness in the woods, and the woods were deadly quiet.
3: From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed.
2: Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you two true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that are sure to horrify and terrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. And we're back after our Thanksgiving break, hoping you all had some good food and good times with family. But it's time to get back to the creepy stuff, so let's get to it. We open the show with an anonymous email submission featuring voice work by Matt Bradford.
3: This all started my junior year of university in 2021. Now for privacy reasons, I will not be disclosing any information regarding where I go to school. Now, during my junior year, There were a lot of strange things that happened in my campus apartment whenever I was alone during long breaks, such as winter break, which was a month long, and during this time, the majority of students would have gone home. But our university allows students to stay if they choose to, and of course, I always chose to stay. The first incident occurred halfway into our winter break at around 1 a.m., I had invited a friend over to hang out, since it was just the two of us who had decided to stay in the town where we went for university while everyone else we knew had gone back home for the holidays. We spent much of the night just watching Netflix and chatting about life, university, and other topics. But as we were talking, we both heard a loud reek, just like in those horror movies. Slow and eerily quiet, but then a sudden slamming of the door. At this moment, we both looked at each other with that expression on our face like, Did you just hear that? And having watched many horror movies before, we were a bit spooked. And me being me, I got up and we both went to check out the noise. To my surprise, the door in my room had shut. As a side note, I always leave my door open unless I'm there. As I opened the door and looked throughout my room, everything was fine. Nothing was strange. The window was still shut and locked, and no matter how much I looked around, there was no way my door could have just closed on its own, since I have left it open many times before and had never done this either, even on days when the window was open. So we both decided to ignore it and went back to the living room and continue our conversation. As we continued talking, in one hour since we'd propped the door back open again, the door slammed shut once more in the same manner. I Me and my friend were both spooked. We had just investigated and found nothing strange in my room. No one was around either since it was the middle of the winter break and there wasn't anyone else in the apartment room but us. Looking at each other, we both decided that it was probably time to call it a night and head off to bed. My friend stayed the night and slept on the couch while I went back into my room and slept there that night. I know, kinda stupid, but seeing as how nothing else happened other than the door slamming itself shut, I thought nothing of it and fortunately the rest of the night went smoothly. After that incident, my buddy stayed away for about a week before we hung out again, and once again the door slammed itself shut, although this time it was much earlier, and having just gone through this before, we decided to call it a night and just leave it at that. The second incident occurred during spring break in which most students would have either left or made vacation plans since it was a week-long break. Me, being who I was, I chose to stay on campus in my apartment and work at my job in order to save up. Well, one night after working and just chilling and hanging out for a bit, it was roughly 1 a.m. when I decided to call it a night and head to bed. Because I was sleeping alone and after all those encounters, I decided to keep the lights on in my room. Shortly after having just fallen asleep, I woke up. Note, I'm a lucid and somewhat light sleeper, so I can differentiate between when I'm asleep and not, as well as being fully aware in my sleep that I am asleep. Well, I woke up half-conscious and half-unconscious. I was still a bit drowsy, and in my days, I saw this dark humanoid shape just sitting at the foot of my bed. Kind of like a dark, hazy figure that you can clearly see but can't quite make out. Somewhat like how your shadow looks, except it was three-dimensional. And although I couldn't see its face or make out its features, I knew in my head that it was looking at me, and could hear it talking to me. Since I was still tired and dazed, I didn't reply or converse with it, but instead just kind of dazingly followed what it told me. This was the conversation. The thing said, ''Oh, seems like you're awake. Well, that makes my job a lot easier. Can you please lift up your arms for me?'' <laughs> while well, me being tired and just wanting to go back to sleep, I obliged and slowly lifted up each of my arms as it said so. And while I did, it seemed to have slipped something underneath each arm.' Once it was done, it just said, You may go back to sleep now. Sorry for disturbing you. And that was the end of it. I put my arms back down and closed my eyes and went back to sleep, not even giving it a second thought. Well, the next morning when I woke up, I found it strange and checked underneath my arms but saw nothing. And since the dark figure didn't seem to have any ill intentions or give up any sort of scary vibes, I just kind of chalked it up to nothing more than an odd encounter Nothing too frightening. The third encounter. This one's a little more humorous as I was too tired to deal with whatever it was. Once again, I was alone in my apartment and just come home from a night shift at my job. You see, I tend to work the night shifts as I have class in the morning. This way I can spend my afternoon finishing homework and studying. After having eaten and given myself a few hours to play some games with friends until around 1am, I decided to call it a night and head to bed. Unlike the last encounter, this time I had the lights off as I went to sleep since I was seriously tired out by the long day, and it didn't take me long to fall asleep. Shortly after 3am, I heard the sound of my keys jingling. To give you a bit of background, I usually keep my keys in a little bowl on my desk beside my bed. And on this particular night, I'd place my keys at the bottom of the bowl with all my pens on top of it. So if someone were to take my keys out, they wouldn't be able to do so without rattling all the pens on top of it. Or else they'd have to remove the pens before being able to take out the keys quietly. So as I was sleeping, I heard the light jingle of my keys. In my mind at that point, I, I was just thinking to myself, oh god, please no, not tonight. I'm way too tired to deal with this right now, and truth be told, I was really exhausted and just couldn't care enough to deal with whatever it was that had begun jingling my keys around in the dark. Because I was so tired and my body just didn't want to get up and out of bed, I just laid there and told myself not to open my eyes in case it was leaning over me in fear of what I might end up seeing in the dark, and told myself, please, not tonight, I'm too tired, can we do this some other time? but as I thought that, the keys just kept jingling. And finally, I got fed up and decided to go back to bed thinking to myself, all right, fine, if I'm going to go, I want it to at least be on my terms, in my sleep. Do whatever you want, just let me rest. If not, it'll be morning soon anyways and I'll just check it out when I wake up. After having told myself that, I went back to sleep as the jingling continued. That whole incident occurred over maybe like four minutes and during that time, the sound never got closer or more intense. It stayed in the same position and intensity. Before I knew it, I had fallen back asleep, and within a few hours, the sun was shining through my window. As I woke up and checked on my keys, they were in the exact same location and position I would left them the night before. So as to where that noise came from and who was in my room jingling my keys, I have no idea, as I was the only one in my apartment and no one else had access to my room, nor were my roommates around since they all had gone home for the weekend. Similarly, the next weekend I had to go home for the weekend, and while I was at home it happened again. Except this time, when I woke up in the morning and checked on my keys, they weren't in their original position. They'd been moved from my bookshelf to my desk. Well, This is the last incident. Well, there's something important that should be noted. In my culture, there is a belief that if you smell something rotten when there's nothing around that can cause it, it is a sign of the dead being nearby. This will come in handy when understanding this next incident. During the final week of college, my roommates and everyone else had all left since they all have their exams during the first few days of the week, thus allowing them to move out early. But as for me, unfortunately one of my classes decided to have its exam on the very last day of the week, Friday. So I was stuck in my apartment as the only one there until then. It all started on Thursday evening at around 5 or 6 p.m., while just chilling in my apartment playing some games on my laptop in order to pass the time. I started getting a very strong whiff of a rotten odor. As my nose picked up on the scent, I got up out of my chair and started wandering around my apartment and looking for the source of the smell. I checked my room, my roommate's room, and even the trash even though I had just previously taken the trash out the night before, and all I had left in the apartment were cup raiment since I didn't want to cook since I only had two days left. No matter where I went or where I checked, the smell still remained. The smell was always at the same distance away from me. The best way of explaining this would be trying to walk towards something, but no matter how far you walk, you're always still the same distance away from it as when you started. So, after a thorough search of the apartment, yielding nothing, I eventually decided to just deal with it and ignore it as best I could, even though I could still smell it. It was at this moment that the old saying and ghost stories from my culture popped into my head about how back in the day when traversing the woods at night, many would encounter rotten smells and see the dead following them. At this point, I got a bit spooked. But seeing as how I saw nothing and the smell never seemed to be approaching me or getting any stronger, as well as the fact that the previous three incidents have occurred without any issue, I felt no sort of immediate threat and just decided to live with the smell, not dwelling on it too much. Eventually after a while the smell faded, but it would occasionally show back up again periodically for the next month before disappearing. On my final day when I was finally moving out of my apartment, my buddy who had spent Christmas break with me came back over. And before he came back over, I had started smelling it again. So when he came, I asked him if he smelled what I was smelling, and he told me he couldn't, and asked if everything was okay. Well, Since he's from the same cultural heritage, he was also well aware of what it meant to smell something rotten when there's nothing rotten around. And having experienced some of the things in my apartment himself, he didn't doubt me as much. But yeah, this smell followed me for a while, and when I consulted my parents, they never really did give me a clear answer. They just asked if anything happened directly to me, and since nothing did, they just ignored it as well. So, as a final note, my buddy shared with me and the rest of our friends the story of a potential but unconfirmed death that happened at our apartment building. He wasn't sure which room it happened in as it was many years ago. My buddy is older than us and also a student at the same university. When I heard this story, the natural thing I did was went online and started scouring the internet for news about anything about this potential death at the on-campus apartment in which I lived. After multiple searches, I did come across an old article from 2012-13 or of a male student being found unconscious on the floor of his apartment. Well, as the story goes, his roommates all left to return home over the weekend, leaving him alone in that apartment, and when the first of his roommates returned, they found him unconscious on the floor. The cops were called and the student was taken away the following morning. As to what happened or if the student passed away or what room he was in, that wasn't stated since the article only had a paragraph on the situation. But judging by the article and how he'd been unconscious on the floor until the following Sunday when his roommate returned to find him, I would assume that chances are highly likely he could have passed away. So, in short, I never got any answers as to what was doing those things in my room or who that nightly visitor was. So if there's any chance you have an idea what it was or could have been, I would love to hear it.
2: Do you have your own terrifying tale or unexplainable event? Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to send in your story today. next, we have a listener voicemail from Carissa, and we meet the red figure.
0: I'm a huge fan of the podcast, and I've listened through all the episodes, some of them twice. And I love how the format has changed through the years and through the seasons, and it just keeps getting better, so keep up the good work. It's very entertaining, and it's actually very educating as well, and that's what I appreciate about people submitting their true experiences. It's actually very helpful for the rest of us. Even though it was terrifying for them, I'm grateful that they're sharing it, so maybe someone else can be saved because of it. I have a story. I kind of wanted to share this for a while, but I never really know if it fits here or if I need to share it somewhere else. But to me, it feels like it fits. Right now, I am a 42-year-old female And this happened back when I was about three. So 1983, we lived in Tucson, Arizona in a trailer just out in the middle of the desert. I remember looking out all around it, around all sides of us and noticing that there was nothing but desert. It was such a vast area. We lived on a big ranch. It was beautiful because there was mountains way in the distance and it would snow, but it was very desertous. Anyway, so you know, you just kind of get the feeling of being alone. My brother, me, my mother and father all lived in this trailer. And one night, everyone was asleep. It was the middle of the night, probably sometime in the very early morning or you know midnight to 2 a.m, something like that. I didn't have a clock, so I'm not sure but I remember just waking up. And before I go into that, let me explain the way our our trailer was. So my brother and I slept on bunk beds. I was on the bottom because I was younger and my brother was on top. And our door was usually slightly open and you could look down the hallway. Our beds were faced in such a way where we could see down that hallway outside the door. Straight down the hallway was our parents' room and their door is usually open, and it was this night as well. So I remember just waking up suddenly, and I felt very awake. I didn't feel like I was asleep or dreaming or tired. I was very awake. And I remember looking into our parents' bedroom, and from the left-hand side, which was against you know the wall where you couldn't see, emerges this red figure Not like fiery red, not shadowy, not smoky, but solid red. Maybe like if uh, those laser pointers were in the shape of a human silhouette. And it was a man. It looked like a man. It felt like a man. So that figure came walking from one end behind the door to in front of the door, across the doorway, all the way towards my parents' bedroom or their bed where their bed was in the room. And that was it. I didn't see it again. I didn't hear anything, nothing after that. And it was just silent for a minute. And I remember whispering to my brother, did you see that? And he said, yes. And my blood just ran cold. And I was like, oh my gosh, he saw it too, this is real. We didn't talk about it that night. I think we talked about it the next day Like, what was that all about? What happened last night? And we didn't really talk about it for years. Then we moved to Texas. We were talking about it years later. And I said, hey, what do you think that was that went into our parents' bedroom that night? And my brother thinks that ever since that night, like that night was the night when maybe a demon or the devil himself went into my parents' bedroom and either consumed them in some way or he possessed them. So maybe that's why our parents got divorced and that's why they started arguing and things changed, which from a kid's point of view, it makes sense. Looking back, I mean, anything is possible. I'm very open. Who knows what that was? I've tried to look things up online and see what that is and I haven't quite found anything that matches what I saw and kind of what my experience was so if anyone has any ideas about what that was what was going on that night I would love to hear it this was in Tucson Arizona we did live near reservations there was a lot of Navajo um, reservations around there we hung out with a lot of Navajo kids went to school with them my brother did anyway It felt like a very spiritual place. There was definitely a lot of history there. And as a child, I could feel that there was definitely a lot going on on this side and the other. So I'm not sure if it ties into a legend or what. It was a very interesting experience and I've thought about it a lot over the years. And especially since listening to a lot of these podcasts now that have paranormal stories, I love it because it makes me feel like I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's had some strange experiences. And maybe within this community, we can figure out what this was or maybe some ideas.
2: You're listening to Disturbed, now back to the horror. And finally, we close out the show with an email submission from Everett, featuring voice work by Stephen Brink, and we have an experience
1: deep in the woods. This took place in Mainz Gonsenheim, September 1981, a year after I arrived in Germany. Wild Park is a park located in the village of Gonsenheim. In a small part of the park was a small animal park, goats, rabbits, wild boars, and a few other animals that were native to the Mons area, and sat on the edge of the Lindenbergwald Forest, a natural area. New forest trees were the majority of the trees that grew here. Many had been planted after the war, or replacement for trees that were their replacements. On one side of the park there were fairly new homes, in front were some older homes, Wild Park was well lit up until the walkway enters the lennon There wasn't a light until the end of the trail about five miles away. The road was more like a trail. The surface was flat and smooth as very few vehicles were ever allowed into this part of the park. People could be seen walking, enjoying strolls as they went along. Horseback riders could be seen pacing the trail and children could be seen playing nearby. A wide tree and a grass lane line trail made its way through from one end to the other. The trees provided the right amount of shade and places the sunlight broke through. In walking through the Linenbergwald, a couple of chapels sat along the trail, along with several memorials and a couple of cemeteries that dated to the 1700s. While attending the required German Head Start course, soldiers were told of some of the stories of the area. One story centered around the Bosina bodies, an Alemannic tribe who lived in the region of the modern city of Mons on the Mons River. It's been said that the Romans, for years, have tried to negotiate with the chief of the Bucena bodies and other Alemannic chiefs. After several rebellions against the Roman Empire, the Emperor, with the support of the Burgundians, attempted to capture the leaders of these tribes. Around 371, the Romans were forced into an alliance with the Bucena bodies. As part of the deal, they were to relocate from Mons to Britain. When not fighting the Romans, the Bucena bodies and Alemannic tribes were warring with the Visigoths, Ostrogoths, and Franks. All these tribes practiced their pagan cult activities, worshipping certain trees, the waters of the rivers, hills, and mountain valleys, in whose honor they sacrificed horses, cattle, and countless other animals by beheading them, and imagined that they were performing an act of piety thereby. As Christian sanctuaries and churches started to appear on the European frontier, the Alamanni sought out in destroying such structures. The story begins around 400. One version claims that five Catholic clerics were forced to flee from North Africa to Italy after being persecuted by the King of the Vandals. In another version was a Greek priest from the Isle of Naxos was exiled to Mons, where he became a missionary. The legend finishes that a priest had been executed because of his faith. After being decapitated, he reached down, picked up his severed head, carried his head in his hands to the place where he wanted to be buried. Our division was known to train hard. Every three to four weeks, units within the division would be training at the local training sites. Every two months or so, the division would hold a major training exercise. We knew our jobs well. It showed in our training. In a way, Wild Park was an extension of our training sites, only we would wear civilian clothing and stay away from the general population when we practiced certain tasks. The park was off-limits for any formal military training. Off-duty, we would find ways to fine-tune our skills. It had been a long five weeks in the field for our brigade, and this was the first weekend that the soldiers would have had off in all that time. Coming off of maneuvers and being locked into training, soldiers have a tendency to be a little wild as they release their tensions and let off some built-up hostilities. This caused some soldiers to get into a little trouble on and off post. The majority of the brigade set their sights upon Mons, Weisbaden, and Frankfurt am Main, where the clubs would be overflowing with returning soldiers. Additional policing was brought in to handle any issues. There were several soldiers who would head out from some of the smaller communities where few Americans ventured for the quietness and low-key atmosphere. Badenheim was one of those communities. Located along the Rhine River about 7.5 miles south of Mons, a 30-minute train ride, walking through Linenberg Wall, it took off about two miles. Seton and I had stumbled upon the village by accident while hiking through Wild Park one day when we decided to check out the end of the trail. This was the only way we know of getting to the village. And by walking to Badenheim, it gave us a reason to do some exercise over the weekend. So many times we would head out to Badenheim to visit one of the many guesthouses houses to avoid seeing a fight or trouble in Mons or watching soldiers doing something that would get them into trouble. It wasn't long before Seton and I were joined by Brent, Gamble, and Hurd, who had the same interest in Volksmarching. The five and a half hike to Badenheim was great in getting into condition for Volksmarching. There was always a Volksmarch going on somewhere in Germany. A great way to see Germany and to meet the local citizens. After a while, we called ourselves a Volksmarching club. We got to know the trail, where we could walk over it blindfolded from end to end. Our hikes to Badenheim were an excuse to do some physical training and to go and watch the barges going up and down the Rhine. Get a good German meal, throw back a couple of beers, and to work the meal and drinks off hiking home. All our trips were done on a Saturday midday. On Fridays, it was too late to take the hike. By the time we got off duty, cleaned up, and changed, it was getting late. On the weekends and holidays, we knew we could do this in our pleasure and not having to worry about rushing. Towards the end of the training exercise, everyone started to make plans on what they were going to do upon returning to the garrison. A motivation factor to get through the last days of the field. Plans were defined as we cleaned equipment, made repairs, stood inspections, and got everything stored away. Usually, this was all done by Friday, with the possibility of enjoying a long weekend, with the exception of those who had duties to be performed. Law enforcement, clubs, and other businesses were also busy making plans for the influx of patrons. As soon as the soldiers were released, there were twenty taxis lined up outside the gate. As soon as one pulled up, another was taking its place. Soon, lines were forming at the taxi stand and the Strassenbahn stop. Everyone was out to have a great time, even if we had to pay for it in the morning. As the five of us exited the post gates, we headed away from the gate, around the corner, and down a block before turning towards the wild park. The weather was great, not a cloud in the sky. If it was any other way, we had no backup plan. In walking through the park, German and American families were enjoying a last-minute rant before retiring for the evening. We knew that when we came back through in a couple of hours, there wasn't going to be a soul around. With the exception of myself, the others were infantrymen and I was a maintenance clerk, with the additional duties of orderly while in the field. As we walked through the park, the main topic of conversation was recalling the recent field exercise. We spoke of everything that took place, and I could only respond to what I heard on the radio, and small talk in the command center, which was very little. Most of the information was to remain in the center. Once in a while, they would ask me if I came across any good intel that can enlighten them in the future. Most of what I heard was confidential. By the time we reached Bodenheim, we were famished. Our favorite gasthouse was a block away. At the door, we could taste the Jägerschnitzel already. Since we'd been coming here for a while, we had our own Stamish table. We knew what we wanted before entering. There was no need to read the menu by the door. Walking in, and we went straight to our table as we walked past the innkeeper. He held up his thumb. Everyone responded with the same, followed by an beer bitte. One beer, please. In no time, the Kilnerin, the waitress, was sitting five beers on the table... "'This is not Saturday. Are you now training on Fridays for the People's March?' Nine. No. We're just done with the maneuvers and we came here for the quiet,' was our reply. After a relaxing beer, we ordered our meal, followed by a few more beers. As the evening went on, we continued recalling the events of our trading, when someone started to get too loud. The others would remind the offender that we were in public and to use our inside voice.' They would call the Kellner in over and asked if they could apologize for the outburst and would try to keep themselves under better control. As she did, they looked around. The German patrons would lift their glasses and said, Not a problem. We were not offended. It was 10 p.m. when we stopped drinking beer and switched to water to allow our meal to absorb the alcohol. We were enjoying our evening. Before we knew it, the innkeeper was going around telling everyone, "Gasthaus, we will be closing soon, so please finish your drinks so we can lock up. Thank you. Our plan was to come and have a few beers and a meal, then leave. We didn't expect to be there until closing time. The innkeeper came to the table and stated, My friends, you may have had a bit too much to drink. I hope that you're not driving, so let me call a taxi for you. Thank you, but no, we'll walk back. The night air will do us some good. The walk back to Gossenenheim would do us some good. Besides, we have no car, and we needed to walk off the wonderful meal and what beer was left in our system. Besides, this would assist us with our Volksmarching training. As long as we were standing and not falling over, we knew we would be fine. We all shook hands and then we stepped out the door. Till next time, we said as we departed. The breeze that came off the Rhine was cold. None of us thought to bring a coat with us. Of course, we didn't plan on staying out this late. And looking at our watches, it was 2.15 in the morning. The streets were bare. The fog was wrapping itself around the light that the few streetlights gave off. Someone said this was the perfect beginning to a horror story. The moon was being obscured by a huge cloud. There was nothing to be scared of. After all, in the field, we did a lot of night marches and movements. This was nothing any different. Same thing, a different day. Besides, what was going to harm us? The entrance to the Wald on the Boddenheim side appeared to be a huge mouth laying wide open as it waited for its next meal. Beyond that, the woods were void of any light. Taking a few steps in the woods, we stopped to allow our eyes to adjust. It didn't take long for their eyes to adjust to the darkness in the woods, and the woods were deadly quiet. Being scared was a state of mind, and courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. As we stumbled forward, we were starting to make fun of each other, using our outdoor voices. Since there were no homes besides Bodenheim and Gosenheim, we could be as loud as we wanted out here. Unless we ran into the Waldmeister, the Forest Master, Ranger. The German quit hours were strictly enforced. Off in the distance, we noticed a huge bonfire burning. Just beyond that were several smaller fires. This was not a place for us to be. If the Waldmeister of the Polize, the police, were to come along, they would somehow place us in the mix of whoever had the fires going. So we picked up our pace. The quicker we got out of there, the better. Police is known to take names and ask questions later in Germany. Like many European countries, everyone is guilty until proven innocent. Another fact, we had no idea if there were any specific hours that we could be in the park, or at least we never saw any posted. Then, from out of nowhere, we started hearing horses coming down the trail, and they were coming fast. This was strange to think someone was out here riding with limited moonlight. Immediately, we jumped behind some trees to keep from being trampled upon. This far in the park, there was no way to call for or get any assistance if we had gotten hurt. Just as soon as we got behind the trees, we could see the shadows of horses passing in front of and behind us. Whoever was riding these horses certainly were not looking out for anyone walking around. On the other hand, who would expect people to be walking around this late at night? We noticed that the horses had no legs and the riders were wearing clothing we had never seen before. Once the horses had passed us from our location, we noticed people coming our way with torches. We knew something was amiss. Most people walking around at night would be carrying flashlights, not torches. By the look of the torches, the individuals were coming at us in a straight line. Whatever was going on, we didn't want to be any part of it. We noticed those who were carrying torches wore simple sandals that were tied all the way up to their knees. As we planned our next move, arrows started hitting the trees next to us. When an arrow hit the tree just above our heads, it was time to move and to move quickly. The main goal was to escape and evade whoever was out there to get out of here as safely as we could. Recently our company had went through some escape and evasion training, and now was the time to put that training to use. Our movement was fast with long periods to look around to ensure we were not being followed. Noticing some bushes across the trail, we hightailed it over and took cover. Once we noticed no one was around, we slowly moved to another point and waited for a few minutes to listen and look for any movement. Off in the distance we could see torches moving as if they were looking for someone or something. Once in a while, we could hear someone riding a horse on the trail. When we realized that we were not the main subject of the search, we didn't want to be caught up in it. The main objective was to be as quiet as possible and move quickly. The best solution we could think of was to walk in single file. Gamble took the lead, followed by Hurd, myself, Brandt, and then Seaton. Gamble was used to taking point, as Seaton was accustomed to rear watch. I was in the middle since I was the only non infantryman in the group. Using the cover of darkness, we slowly made our way towards Gunsenheim and the small zoo. We watched and listened as the torches passed us. We tried not to look their way, fearing the glow from our eyes would give us away. The communication plan was simple. The right hand would go upon the shoulder of the man in front so we could remain close. A tap on the left hand on the man in front indicated an immediate stop. We would move as one. As Gamble's left foot went forward, Everyone's foot moved. At one point we just came to the end of a hedge. We could see a horse with its rider looking around. Everyone ducked down and it appeared that the rider wasn't interested in us. He was looking for something or someone else. No one dared to breathe, in case the rider heard us, nor did we want to spook his horse. Things took a drastic turn when we could hear the sound of howling dogs. Did we make a noise? Did we drop something? Did someone realize that there was a witness around? Off in the distance, we could see the glow of a street light. We had come too far now to get caught by whoever was in the woods. We heard stories of individuals who were just feet away from freedom, only to be captured and sent back to meet their fate. For a while, it sounded as if the dogs were gaining on us. Our thoughts were to remain calm and not let our fear take over us. If the dogs found us, we knew it would be too late for us. When the sound of the dogs started to turn away from us, It was a relief. Was there someone else out here? The howling sound turned into arfs. A herd whispered, it sounds like they cornered whatever they were hunting. Then there was total silence. The main bonfire got bigger, and the sparks danced their way towards the sky. We were wrenching to hear anything, but there was nothing, as if the woods were dead quiet. We dared not to move in case a horseman remained just a few feet from us. We didn't want to jump up into someone's arms that would be an immediate danger to us. Suddenly, trumpets could be heard. The horseman turned his horse and rode off. Behind us, the sound of footsteps could be heard as if they all headed to the sound of the trumpet. Waiting a few minutes to ensure the coast was clear, we jumped up and started to run. We still had over halfway to go. As we ran, it was with a quick look over our shoulder... Brant had gotten ahead of everyone else before we found a spot that was well concealed where we could rest. Gamble was running past Brant when he reached out and grabbed Gamble. With all his might, Gamble started to yell for help. This got the rest of us to move much faster. Before being released earlier that day, the commander and first sergeant stressed, if you go out tonight and do any drinking, make sure you have a battle buddy with you, and don't let anything happen to your battle buddy. Covering Gamble's mouth, Brant whispered, ''Quiet, fool!'' I'll have everyone in these woods upon us in no time, do you understand?" Gamble nodded his head. As then we started to run past, Brand shouted out, ''Over here!'' We started to take a few minutes to catch our breath and gather our thoughts. Suddenly we heard a bone-chilling scream. After hearing the scream, the woods were again dead silent. This had gotten our immediate attention. We strained to hear any noise as we looked about for any movement. This wasn't a good time to be caught off guard. Not a good time to be complacent. Most mistakes and injuries take place at the end of our mission or tour of duty. We waited for a while, then we decided to walk down the middle of the trail. If anything came after us, we could run up the trail and jump off to hide behind one of the many trees. If someone came towards us, our only hope was to jump into the woods and try to circle back. Our minds weren't thinking very clearly. We noticed that the fires had died down, but that didn't mean we were out of danger. As we started to move, we could hear someone shuffling along the trail behind us. The steps were slow and even. We ducked behind some bushes, waiting for whoever it was to pass. The steps got closer, our breathing slowed, not to alert the individual that was coming upon us. When the individual walked past us, we noticed whoever it was had been decapitated. The clothing resembled the garments of around 400 to 900, or even later. From drawings we had seen, As the individual walked past us, we noticed the individual was carrying his severed head in his hands, close to chest height. We watched as this individual continued down the road, and within a couple of minutes, whoever it was had vanished. Stepping out of the secluded area, we recognized that there were no more torches in the woods. But that didn't mean there were still individuals roaming the woods. We tried to decide what our next move would be. We could either wait in for daylight, stay in the woods or we could take a chance and move up the trail. We all agreed to take a chance and make up the trail. At a half walk and run, we continued to move toward the other end of the park. Finally, we made it to the little zoo. We were home safe. Just as soon as we were out of the woods, we stepped into the dimly lit village street at a fast pace towards our barracks. Nothing was going to stop us. It was then we noticed the blue flashing light from a police car. Immediately we stopped, We've been told that only the guilty run. The police officer asked for our identifications, seeing five young men walking down the street at a fast pace at 4am was a little suspicious, especially if they were Americans. He started to question us in German, and we indicated that we didn't speak, read, nor wrote German. That's alright, he said. He spoke English. We were asked where we were coming from and where we were heading. Our answer was we were simply enjoying the evening, out staying away from the other Americans, and were just walking around. Looking at us, he could tell it wasn't a good idea to walk through the woods so late at night. Things happen in there. Even bad things happen in there. Even American soldiers weren't safe in there. We told him that we understood and indicated we weren't in the woods. The officer may not have believed what we said. We weren't even sure if we could believe what we saw back there. With a small smile on the officer's face, we realized that he may have seen us emerge from the park. Besides, not too many people were seen walking around at this hour. and seeing us walk, it was clear that we were Americans who were out for a little mischief. The local police and the military police had extra officers on duty in case of any trouble. After he wrote down our information and released us, we were off towards the barracks, as the officer told us to stay out of the woods. After that night, when we walked in the woods, we never ventured too far off the trail. We made sure we were heading back out as the sun started to set. Our time at the gasthouse was cut short so we shouldn't have to go back in the dark. However, one day the innkeeper asked us if we had seen the Businabantes. He could tell by our demeanor and said we should have taken the taxi like he told us. After time, our hikes into the woods and to Bodenheim became less and less frequent until we stopped altogether going.
3: Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod.
2: Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale, either in writing or send us a voicemail. Head over to DisturbedPodcast.com slash submit to see all the submission options. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast, or subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, and there's plenty to list off here. Bison14, Joseph Martin, Annika H, Kelsey Lee, Sharice Vanel Santos, Jennifer Campbell, Aaron Michael Cox. Samantha McNamara Hey Z. Hey Amalia Ortega Scars Rodriguez Casey Sarah Millett Scrubs is number one Clearly a birth name Stephanie Conkle April Tanner Natasha Ash Cassandra Wisensee Patty Debon Daniel Holman Nick Otto Annie DeBats Will Soto Russell Gelfo Jeremy Krankovich Jonathan Smith Liz G Devin Jacob Tonkin Ryan Gear, Adrian Mether, Megan Linton, Wayne Washington, and Katie Poe. A huge thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.